Welcome back to Rajcast for episode 45. I'm Nachi Gupta. And I'm Mega Rajpal, and we're back with some more high-yield emergency medicine board review. Let's kick off this episode with a rapid review of rabies prophylaxis, a topic also covered recently on the EM Clerkship podcast by Zach Olson. Hmm, that's something we don't see too frequently, but it is important to know for your clinical practice and for the boards. Per the CDC website, the most common wild reservoirs of rabies are raccoons, skunks, bats, foxes, and coyotes. Domestic animals like cats, dogs, and cattle can also get rabies. Rodents, reptiles, and birds, on the other hand, are not carriers and cannot transmit rabies. One important factor in deciding if you get rabies post-exposure prophylaxis is whether the animal can be found and held for observation. That's right. If the animal that bit or scratched the patient is a known pet and can be watched, you don't need to start prophylaxis immediately. But if it's a wild animal, in most cases, you should start prophylaxis. And it doesn't really matter if the bite or scratch was provoked and the location of the wound doesn't matter either. Rabies is fatal, so do the right thing according to the criteria that Nachi just mentioned. The rabies post-exposure prophylaxis has two parts to it, the immunoglobulin and the vaccine. That's right. Inject the immunoglobulin into the wound and start the rabies vaccine series, which the patient will receive on days 1, 3, 7, 14, and 28. And the only real contraindication is a severe egg allergy. Great review. Let's get started with some Rosh review questions. Nachi, you're up for the first one. Which of the following is true regarding acute respiratory distress syndrome? Is it A, defined as PaO2 over FiO2 greater than 300? B, empiric corticosteroids should be given? C, positive end expiratory pressure should be increased with increases in FiO2? Or D, tidal volume should be started at 10 cc's per kg in intubated patients? Let's first define ARDS. ARDS is inflammation of the lung parenchyma leading to impaired gas exchange. It's characterized by an acute onset of lung injury with bilateral opacities on chest x-ray, respiratory failure, and a decreased PaO2 to FiO2 ratio. We're going to use the process of elimination to answer this question. We just said that ARDS has a decreased PaO2 to FiO2 ratio, so answer choice A is out, which said that there would be an increased PaO2 to FiO2 ratio. I don't remember steroids being proven to be beneficial in ARDS, so I don't think answer choice B is correct. And I know that tidal volumes need to be lower than 10 cc's per kilogram, so answer choice D wouldn't be correct either. This leaves answer choice C. PEEP should be increased with increases in FiO2. Great approach, Nachi. Patients with ARDS are difficult to oxygenate and ventilate and have a really high mortality. The ARDSnet trial showed that these patients should be started on low tidal volumes of 6 to 8 cc's per kg of ideal body weight and that PEEP and FiO2 should be titrated up together in order to achieve oxygenation goals. And if you're not familiar with ARDSnet, that's definitely a study worth looking into. It's also worth knowing about the Berlin criteria. The Berlin criteria uses the PaO2 to FiO2 ratio to define the severity of ARDS. A PaO2 to FiO2 ratio greater than 200 but less than 300 is defined as mild ARDS. A ratio greater than 100 but less than 200 is defined as moderate ARDS. And a ratio less than 100 is defined as severe ARDS. Lots of numbers there, Nachi. But the point is that in ARDS, the PaO2 to FiO2 ratio is always less than 300, and the lower the ratio gets, the worse the ARDS is. And what causes ARDS? While sepsis is the most common cause of ARDS, other conditions like shock and gastric aspiration can also cause it. Great review. Let's move on to the second question of this episode. A 35-year-old man presents to the ED after being assaulted in a bar fight. 
he has signs of significant facial trauma. On physical exam, you note a tooth fracture through the enamel and dentin that does not involve the pulp. Which of the following is the most appropriate next step in management of his dental injury? Is it A, calcium hydroxide paste, B, extract the tooth, C, immediate dental consult, or D, penicillin VK? This question requires you to know the types of dental fractures and their management. Our patient has an Ellis class 2 dental fracture, meaning it involves injury to the dentin and enamel but spares the pulp. Patients usually have hot or cold sensitivity and exam reveals exposed yellow dentin. Management is by covering the exposed dentin with choice A, calcium hydroxide paste, then plan for urgent referral to an oral surgeon or dentist. And even if you weren't sure if choice A was right here, this is another one that you could use the process of elimination for since the other answer choices really just don't apply. Let's review the rest of the Ellis classification. Class 1 involves injury to the enamel alone. It is painless and is treated by smoothing any rough edges and dental referral. Class 3 involves injury to the enamel, dentin, and pulp, and patients present with severe pain and pink titch pulp is visible on exam. In Class 3 dental fractures, they're treated with choice C, immediate dental consult, and choice D, penicillin VK. Choice B, extracting the tooth, that's rarely the correct answer in the emergency department. As you're putting on some calcium hydroxide paste on your patient's tooth, the triage nurse rushes in a 62-year-old man with chest pain that started while he was walking his dog. The patient notes radiation of the pain to the shoulders and some nausea. On exam, he is diaphoretic with a heart rate of 94, respiratory rate of 20, blood pressure of 92 over 59, and oxygen saturation of 96% on room air. His ECG reveals a 2mm elevation in AVR. Occlusion of which coronary artery is most likely responsible for this patient's presentation? Is it A, left anterior descending artery, B, left circumflex artery, C, left main coronary artery, or D, right coronary artery? The answer here is choice C, occlusion of the left main coronary artery. ST segment elevation in AVR greater than 1 millimeter or greater than the ST elevation in V1 is concerning for left main disease. In addition to the elevation in AVR, you might see diffuse horizontal ST depressions in leads 1, 2, and V4 to V6. This is a must-know for all emergency physicians. The degree of ST elevation in AVR correlates with increased mortality. AVR ST elevation is an indication for emergent cardiac catheterization in the setting of ischemic chest pain. Let's go over the other answer choices also. Choice A, left anterior descending artery, that supplies the anterior wall and septum, and occlusion of this artery presents with ST elevations in V1 through V4. Choice B, the left circumflex artery, that's indicative of a lateral myocardial infarction and results in ST elevations in 1, AVL, V5, and V6. And lastly, choice D, the right coronary artery, this supplies the inferior wall of the left ventricle in the majority of patients, and an inferior wall myocardial infarction presents with ST elevations in leads 2, 3, and AVF. Just know that some patients' inferior wall is supplied by the left circumflex artery. And do you know what a posterior MI looks like on EKG? Posterior MI presents with horizontal ST depressions with tall, broad R waves and upright T waves in V1 through V3. As you're talking to the cath lab about this patient, you get a STEMI notification on a separate call. A 62-year-old man is presenting for chest pain evaluation. About three weeks ago, the patient had an MI and had stents placed. 
Last night, he developed pleuritic chest pain and fever. He has no cough and doesn't feel short of breath. His EKG shows PR depression and diffuse ST elevation. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, Dressler syndrome, B, infarct pericarditis, C, left ventricular aneurysm, or D, ST segment elevation MI? The answer here is A, Dressler syndrome, which is pericarditis occurring one week to several months after an MI. Patients present with fever, pleuritic chest pain, and malaise. EKG presents just like any pericarditis with PR depressions and diffuse ST elevations, and there are no lab tests that are specific for this diagnosis. Treatment is with colchicine, steroids, and NSAIDs. Let's go over the other answer choices as well. Choice B, infarct pericarditis. That's an early complication of a transmural MI that involves just the focal area of the infarct, and EKG changes are usually obscured by the recent MI. Choice C, a left ventricular aneurysm. That's an area of the left ventricular wall that bulges out during systole, and this is a complication of a large anterior wall MI. EKGs in this case show ST elevations in the anterior leads. And this is in D, STEMI, as the notification initially said, as STEMI doesn't present with diffuse ST elevations. We'll have the EKG up on our blog, so take a look at the concavity of the ST segments, which is also more consistent with pericarditis than a STEMI. You know how every shift usually has a theme? EKG changes seem to be the theme today, and Nachi, you're up for the next question. A 45-year-old man with a history of hypercholesterolemia presents with acute onset of anterior chest pain, nausea, and diaphoresis. His ECG is notable for having 0.5 millimeter upsloping ST elevation in AVR with ST depressions and tall T waves in the precordial leads. What is the most likely diagnosis? Is it A, occlusion of the left circumflex artery, B, occlusion of the left main coronary artery, C, occlusion of the proximal left anterior descending artery, or D, occlusion of the right coronary artery? Tough EKG questions today. Let's use the process of elimination again on this one. Choice A, occlusion of the left circumflex artery. We just discussed this a few minutes ago. This results in a lateral MI, which is seen on EKG as ST elevations in leads 1, AVL, V5, and V6, with reciprocal depression in leads 3 and AVF. ST segment elevation in AVR greater than V1, with ST segment depression in 1, 2, and V4 to V6. This is predictive of choice B, occlusion of the left main coronary artery. The majority of inferior infarctions are caused by choice D, occlusion of the right coronary artery, which presents with ST elevation in leads 2, 3, and AVF, with reciprocal ST depression in AVL. The answer choice here is choice C, occlusion of the proximal left anterior descending artery. Great use of process of elimination. The EKG described in this question is consistent with the DeWinter ECG pattern, which is found in 2% of acute LED occlusions. We usually associate LED occlusion with acute anterior wall MI, which presents with ST elevation in the precordial leads, but the DeWinter ECG pattern represents an acute anterior infarction without precordial ST elevation. It presents with tall, prominent, symmetric T waves in the precordial leads with upsloping ST segment depressions greater than 1 mm at the J point, and ST segment elevation may be seen in AVR. And the DeWinter pattern may evolve into the classic anterior STEMI morphology, or it may persist until reperfusion is achieved. DeWinter pattern is a STEMI equivalent, so call the cath lab again and let them know about this patient too. This patient needs emergent reperfusion therapy. Mega, do you know what patient characteristics are more likely in those presenting with a DeWinter EKG? These patients are typically younger, 
more often male, and more likely to have hypercholesterolemia compared with those who present with classic ST elevation. All right, let's get to the final question of this episode. You're tired and nearing the end of your shift, so you pick up a quick knee pain. It's a 25-year-old man who comes to the ED because he slipped on the ice this morning and felt a pop in his knee. On physical exam, his left knee appears to have a moderate effusion, and he has a limited range of motion with medial joint line tenderness. An X-ray of the left knee is performed, and a pedunculated bony outgrowth with well-defined margins is seen along the distal lateral femur on the AP view. What is the most likely diagnosis of this incidental bone lesion? Is it A, aneurysmal bone cyst, B, osteochondroma, C, osteoid osteoma, or D, osteosarcoma? This patient has B, osteochondroma, which on x-ray appears as a sessile or pedunculated exostosis along the surface of the bone. An osteochondroma is a benign bone lesion, which is an outgrowth of the growth plate and is made up of bone and cartilage. It often develops in childhood or adolescence and grows larger over time until skeletal maturity is achieved. And osteochondromas are actually the most common benign bone tumor. Many lesions are asymptomatic and incidentally found on x-rays. They're most often seen in the distal femur, proximal tibia, proximal femur, and proximal humerus. Treatment is just observation, but this can be surgically resected if symptomatic. Let's go over the other answer choices too. Choice A, aneurysmal bone cyst. That's a benign bone lesion that's eccentric and lytic on x-ray, and it's most often found in the spine or metaphysis of long bones. Choice C, osteoid osteoma. That's a benign bone lesion that's seen on x-ray as intensely reactive bone around a radiolucent nidus. That's found most often in the lower extremities. Unlike all the other choices that are benign, D, osteosarcoma, is a malignant bone lesion that is seen on x-ray as a lytic destructive lesion, a heavily ossified and lobulated mass, or a blastic destructive lesion, depending on the subtype. Quick trivia, Nachi. What part of the bone contains the growth plate? That would be the metaphysis. Perfect. Let's close out the episode with some rapid review. Intubated patients with ARDS should be started on low tidal volumes of 6 to 8 cc's per kilogram of ideal body weight, and the PEEP and FiO2 should be titrated up together. The PaO2 to FiO2 ratio in patients with ARDS is less than 300. Lower the ratio, worse the disease process. There are three classes of dental fractures. Ellis class 1 involves injury to the enamel alone. Ellis class 2 involves injury to the dentin and enamel. And Ellis class 3 involves the pulp along with the dentin and enamel. Class 1 is treated by smoothing any rough edges. Class 2 is treated by covering the exposed dentin with calcium hydroxide. And class 3 requires antibiotics and immediate dental consult. ST segment elevation in AVR greater than 1 millimeter or greater than the ST segment elevation in V1 is most concerning for occlusion of the left main coronary artery. Dressler syndrome is pericarditis occurring one week to several months after an MI. A left ventricular aneurysm is a complication of a large anterior wall MI. EKG shows ST segment elevation in the anterior leads. De Winter ECG pattern presents with tall, prominent, symmetric T waves in the precordial leads with upsloping ST segment depressions greater than 1 mm at the J point, and ST segment elevation may be seen in AVR. De Winter's pattern is a STEMI equivalent and represents acute LAD occlusion. Check out the image on the Roche blog. 
aneurysmal bone cyst, osteochondroma, and osteoid osteoma are benign bone lesions. Osteosarcoma is a malignant bone lesion seen on x-ray as a lytic lesion, a blastic lesion, or as a heavily ossified mass. So that wraps up Roshcast episode 45. Be sure to also check out the blog for questions from this episode and prior episodes, related images and tables, as well as bonus teaching points. There are also tons of other great free resources there to help prepare you for the boards and the words. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Roshcast and at Rosh Review. And you can always email us at Roshcast at RoshReview.com with any feedback, corrections, or suggestions. You can also help us pick questions by identifying ones you would like us to review. Write Roshcast in the submit feedback box as you go through the question bank. Lastly, if you have a minute, make sure to rate us and leave comments on iTunes to help spread the word about Roshcast. We'll be back soon with more high-quality review.